to the world are being persecuted for their faith simply because they believe and trust in Jesus Christ. In our own country, we're beginning to see the first fruits of that kind of thing happening here. I, I, that kind of inhumanity displayed against believers. I'm not going to rehearse those things to you now. I've mentioned them in the past, and if you are at all aware, you know what kinds of things are happening here. But I will mention this, that it has gotten to such a point that Samaritan's Purse and International Ministry of Relief has made a commitment to help persecuted believers here in the United States of America. Now the text we're going to look at today deals with a group of people who will endure the worst time that the world will ever know. They are, as the Bible tells us, a group so large that they cannot be counted. And they come from every corner and every tribe and every group of our whole world. And this group that we're talking about are those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ during that great tribulation, a time of intense persecution of believers, but also of persecution of the Jewish people and nation. And as we know, it's a time when God will pour out his wrath on others, but not on his own people, for we also understand that all those who belong to God will in never endure his wrath. Now we have looked at this portion of scripture before as we made our way through Revelation and we've seen a number of things, but today we're going to look to see what those who find themselves in that time have to look forward to. A time when they will no longer be thrown against that brick wall, and we will see that the hope that they have and, uh, and that will make enduring all that they endure worthwhile. One best thing to remind you of before we turn to the task, which we have talked about and explained in the past, and that is that what we see and learn here does not just apply to those last days. It does apply to the people there, but not just to them. It applies by extension to any who find themselves enduring the sadness and sorrows of our world, whatever they may be. So whatever state you find yourself in personally today, whether in a good place or a bad, won't you join me in God's word, the truth, and the power captured on the printed page where we can learn something to our benefit and hopefully to the benefit of those we love. Join me in Revelation chapter 7 once again, where we'll be looking at verses 14 through 17, and hopefully we'll be able to get that up on the screen on either side of me now. Now, as we've already said, this passage is going to look at, uh, that we're going to look at this morning applies to us, but its first application is to those who come to faith during the Great Tribulation. As verse 14 tells us, these are they who have come out of the Great Tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They will be alive when all of that breaks out, when all that begins going on, and they will wash their robes in the Lamb's blood. That is, they will put their faith and they'll put their trust in Jesus Christ. And the rest of the chapter tells us uh, what they and 
what we and all believers have to look forward to. And what the text does is it tells us five truths which we as followers of Jesus Christ have in our future. So we've already mentioned the first one that we're going to look at this morning, the first one of these truths. Uh, Those who have come through the great tribulation and have put themselves, uh, their trust in Jesus Christ, will find themselves, and we, by extension, will find ourselves in the most honored position in the kingdom of God. And we see that beginning at the beginning of verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, is what the book says. They are in his presence, and they're in the most honored place in heaven of any creature. Now, in my life, I have only ever seen one president in person, and he passed by me in a car. Friends uh, from Illinois were uh, out to visit us, and and uh, while they were here, we took a tour of the White House, and after the tour, we decided to walk all around it. And we got about three-quarters of the way around, and then we were prohibited to walk uh, down a particular street. And the rumor was that some Saudi prince was getting ready to leave, and so no one was permitted on that street when that was going on. So we turned around and we walked back the other way, and we, we got to a drive, and there was a small crowd, very small crowd of people there. And the rumor there was is the president was about to come out, and so we waited. And I was standing there on the curb right at the very front, And in short order, this small convoy came out, and there, sitting right up next to the window, almost like a child when he's riding in the car and doesn't have a seatbelt on, was the President of the United States, and he was smiling, and he waved at us. And and then he was gone. I have to tell you, that was the most satisfying moment for me. But imagine if he'd have stopped that car for just a moment. And he said, hey, Larry, get in. Let's go for a ride. That would have been a tremendous honor, wouldn't it? And and even more if he'd have invited me to a small dinner with just him and his family. You see, we have something here in the text that's even more wonderful than that. We see all around the throne of God, something more than just honored guests. We see his family gathered all around him. His children purchased with the blood of his son. What could be more wonderful than that? All of the glory of all of the presidents and kings and rulers of the world, if it was all combined, wouldn't even be dust on the scales compared to the glory of God. And we, small people that we are, and sinners, because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, will be brought right into the midst of that glory. And we will find that we are at home. That's the first wonderful truth that this passage reveals to us. The second one is, It's really not something that the world can really appreciate or understand. 
And even for the believer, it takes a while for us to begin to see the wonder of it. There's a certain amount of training that God must do in our lives. And even when we begin to see it, it's not easy for us to put into words how we feel about it. Uh, You see, we have this tremendous privilege of serving God always in his temple. And so verse 15 again, we read, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And those who have been saved by the loving sacrifice of his son, the thought of serving God becomes more and more beautiful the longer we walk with him in this world. Now, again, it's not easy to explain to those who are on the outside or those who haven't walked very long with God or who have allowed something to interrupt their walk so that they're not uh, living as they should right now. Sometimes we read a book that brings that meaning home to us, but it takes chapters and chapters to lead up to that point. Maybe the best way that I know of to illustrate that in our culture is to remind you of what it was like on Christmas time when you were children. You, you remember, don't you? You remember the excitement? You, you remember uh, the feeling you had as that day was approaching? The tree and the lights and all the decorations, the, the thoughts uh, about the gifts that you would be getting. And then it was Christmas Eve and you, you could hardly stand it and, and you wanted to go to bed and go to sleep so badly but, but you just couldn't fall asleep and you wanted to go to sleep so you could wake up the next morning. And it was a good time, wasn't it? You, you remember that? But do you remember as you grew older that things began to change a little bit and you discovered something really pretty amazing? You began to give gifts yourself. And you began to realize that there was something more wonderful, more beautiful, more deeply exciting than giving, uh, getting gifts. It, it, it was giving those gifts. You still enjoyed receiving them, but you realized that there was so much more to it than that. Well, that's how we feel about serving God. The day and the night just means that it never ends. And it's not a toil for us. It's a, it's a joy and it's better than Christmas morning every day all day long it's better than that the temple is simply the place where we meet with God and so think of him sitting with us around the tree and if you understand this then maybe you have a small glimpse of what it will mean to serve our God day and night in his temple I have to tell you, the world simply cannot comprehend this. Hearing this to them is is like hearing a different language that they don't understand, but where all the words are words that they know. And they walk away and they say, I don't get it. I don't know what he was talking about. I have no idea at all. But we know, don't we? We who know Jesus Christ know. We know that we one day will be at home in the most honored place in heaven with the privilege of serving, of giving ourselves to God, the God who loved us so much that he gave us his son, the God that we love. The third thing that we see in this uh, passage is that God will care for us completely. Verse 15, again, this time at the end of the verse, it says, And he who sits on the throne, that is God, 
will shelter them with his presence. And so God will completely care for us. We, we won't have any wants. There, there won't be anything that we will need. We will, won't face any kind of danger at all. And verse 6 illustrates that truth for us. It tells us three things about God sheltering us, about his complete care for us. First, we'll never again have any need or desire that won't be fulfilled. The beginning of verse 16 says, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. We have in this lifetime. Many people much worse than we have. But never again. It's all ours, and not even for the asking. It's already given to us. Then there'll be nothing to make us weary. We'll never get tired. We'll never feel overwhelmed. Middle of verse 16 says, The sun will not beat down on them. So if you've ever worked out in the hot sun, if you've ever even just played in it, you know how that heat from the sun can sap your strength away. And if you were playing, you could stop, you could, you could cool off, you could go indoors, you could maybe take a swim and dip in the pool. But if you're working, you might not have that luxury. Some of us have been in that, and you would understand firsthand how oppressive that heat could be and how it just takes your strength away from you. But never again. Nothing will ever make us tired or weary again. In fact, included in this idea is that the entire universe will be our friend. No longer will we be subjected to it. It will be subjected to us. And finally, God's sheltering presence means there will never be anything in all the world that will be ever able to hurt us again. That's the last sentence in verse 16, nor any scorching heat. The sun would weary us, but the scorching heat would destroy us or at least hurt us. And this is more than just a promise that we won't have to endure the pains of hell. It's that, but it's more. There will never be anything that will ever be able to hurt us again. And God will shelter us with his presence. He will completely care for us. As a loving mother cares for her newborn, doing everything for that child so God will care for us and even better we we who have put our faith in Christ will be at home in the most honored position in heaven with the privilege of giving ourselves to God who will shelter us in his presence completely caring for all of our needs The next thing that we're going to look at, uh, it's a fourth, is that we will be given life to its fullest. So in the middle of verse 17, it puts it this way. He, that is Jesus, uh, our Savior, will lead them to springs of living water. You know, the Bible uh, uses that as a picture. It's uh, springs of living water, a symbol of the Holy Spirit and of the abundant life that God will give us, uh, that we even now have a taste of if we belong to Christ. But there it won't just be a taste. It'll be the whole thing. So you see, eternal life is not just length of days unending. You you probably have been in a mood. I know I have. I know others in my family have. You've probably been in a mood where everything in your life seems like a chore where there is nothing that you want to do, there is nothing that is appealing, where everything seems just to take too much energy. 
Even watching television is a bore. As mindless as that can be, it's just not worth it. Eternal life's not like that. It's abundant. It's like those times when you are enjoying everything and everyone. When you feel as though you have never been tired in your life. And you could go on doing what you're doing forever. And if you could, you'd share that with everybody else. Only it's better than that. You know, it's never going to end. And it will just keep getting better and better. The Lamb, our Savior, has in store for us life abundant and full and growing. As we're at home with him in that most honored position in heaven with the privilege of giving ourselves to the God who will shelter us in his presence forever. Finally, the last thing that uh, we look forward to is that all our sorrows, all our hurts, all our pains will be wiped away. The end of verse 17 says, And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Whatever thought things we have gone through will be taken away. Whatever sacrifice we've made, whatever sadness we've endured, whatever pain we have put up with or borne, it'll be removed. It will be made up for, and it will be made up for in abundance. When we're there in God's presence, we will understand fully what Paul meant when he called our heartaches light and momentary troubles. It's like a, a strong and loving father that wipes the tears away from his son or daughter who has skinned their knee and so that just a little while later, it's all forgotten. So God is with us. All of the things that we have ever cried over or for will be swallowed up in a joy unending and we will never have to endure such things again. You know, we hardly know what this means. We have been so conditioned by the fallenness of our world that when some good thing comes our way, our joy is marred to some extent because we know that something else bad may happen. And then anyway, at the end, death is waiting for all of us. But the kingdom changes all of that. The good that we know there will never be marred. It'll never be undone. It will never grow stale. It will just keep on getting better and better. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then all of that and more is waiting for you. No more sorrow. Not even the threat of sorrow. Just life. Abundant and full and growing as we find ourselves at home in the most honored place in the presence of God where we have the privilege of giving ourselves always to our God who will care for us forever. And that... My friends, that 
is something to live for. And it's something to die for. You know, one more thing to note uh, before we finish. Verse 17 tells us the reason that God will do all of this for us, all of this and more. It's all because Jesus Christ is our shepherd. So the beginning of verse 17 says, For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Jesus Christ, God, will be our shepherd. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who dwelt in eternity past with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who took away the sins of the world. He is our good shepherd. And for love for us, he endured the cross. He died in our place. He rose from the dead. He ever lives for us now. He is coming again in glory And he will bring us safely home to a place where there are no more goodbyes. To him, to him and to him alone be all honor and glory and praise. Is your faith in him? Have you put your trust there? Do these words mean anything to you? Don't they change everything? All that we endure will one day be a distant memory of that. For everything good waits in front of us. And you know, that's what this table here represents to us. When we come around this table, we, uh, we are proclaiming the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he will do for us. And we remember what he's done when he went to that cross. And we look forward to a better day when we will sit at the table with our Lord. And so shall we always be together with him and our brothers and sisters. So I'd like to ask the men who are going to help me uh, with the uh, communion this morning to come forward. And I, I just want to invite all of you who are here today, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, whether you're a member of this church or not, to join us. Now, what I mean by that is, is you have to know him as your Savior. And if you don't really understand what I mean by that, then you probably don't. And we're going to ask you to let the bread and the cup pass you by. I promise you no one's going to draw attention to it. No one will tell me about it. We're asking you to do that because it's an honorable decision. We want you to be a part of this meal, but it really is only for those who have put their faith in Christ. But then those of you who have, some of you, maybe are not walking with him as you should be. You're living in a continuing state of sin. And if that's your case, then you either need to confess it and repent of it right now, or you too have to let the bread and cup pass you by. Or if you have this animosity between you and another believer that you have not done your best to rectify, then you have to let the elements pass you by. Again, nobody's going to tell me about it. We won't draw attention to it. Again, it's an honorable decision. And as a pastor, I know that if you do something like that, 
that God is at work in your heart and life, and he won't let go of you. And if you need to come and see me, I'm available to you. But the decision is a decision that you make. Otherwise, we want you to eat and drink with us. We hold, uh, serve the bread and hold it until all is served. And we eat together, and then we do likewise with the cup. We serve it and hold it, and then we drink together. So what I would like you to do now, if you would please, is I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And, and at this time, I just want you to come before God in the silence of your own heart and ask him to show you anything in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And I can tell you on the authority of the scriptures that if you do that, God will be faithful. He will speak to you. And right here, before we participate in this wonderful, wonderful time of fellowship, you may deal with something that you've needed to deal with for a long time. So for a little while now, I just want to give you an opportunity to let God speak to your heart. I'd like to ask my brother Chip to give thanks for the bread.